and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. Before we get going, I just wanted to remind everyone that the quilt along we're hosting officially starts today. There's plenty of time to join. So the pattern is called Pumpkin Picking and is by Christina Brinkerhoff of Center Street Quilts. So it's a really beautiful throw size fall quilt featuring pumpkins, leaves, and stars, but uh, there are some fun customization options that we have so you can make it more of a Halloween-themed quilt if you'd like. So you can visit allpeoplequilt.com slash quiltalong for all the details. We hope that you can join us. Now let's start the show. Today's show is a fun one. We're talking about cleaning and freshening your quilts. Everything from removing dust and pet hair to treating small stains to washing and drying the quilt. After this show, you'll be inspired to get all your quilts spotless. We also chat with Audrey Essery of Cotton and Bourbon. Audrey is a modern quilter who has really thrown herself into every single step of the sewing and quilting process. So let's dive in. Summer is a great time to clean or freshen your quilts. When you're making a quilt, how you're going to wash and care for the quilt is probably the last thing on your mind. And although you may get lucky and have a quilt displayed in your home that's always clean, odds are that at some point you're going to have to deal with dust, dirt, pet hair, or even a larger stain on a quilt. Today, we want to walk you through a few basics on how to tackle these common messes so your quilts are always looking their best. First, let's talk about dust and dirt. Quilts on display in your home and even the ones in storage are susceptible to dust and dirt. Dust and dirt are some of the easiest things to tackle though, since you don't even need to run the washer or dryer. If it's a nice day out, you can take the quilt outside and shake it out so the dust leaves the quilt. If the weather isn't nice or the quilt is more fragile and you don't want to shake it, you can also vacuum your quilt. Place a nylon pantyhose or netting over the end of the vacuum hose and gently draw the hose over the quilt's surface without rubbing it. This is gentle on the quilt, but it still picks up dust and dirt. You can also use a lint roller to pick up dust, but depending on the size of the quilt or how dusty it is, you may go through a lot of roller sheets. To prevent dust from gathering on your quilts and storage, we suggest wrapping the quilts in cotton pillowcases. The pillowcases still allow the quilt to breathe so there's no risk of mold or dye running, but it also keeps dust off the quilt. And you can easily throw the pillowcases in the wash occasionally to remove dust and dirt. Next, let's talk about pet hair. 
we have found that quilters are divided on whether they let their pets on their quilts or not. Some people don't mind at all and in fact love the approval they get of their pets snuggling with their creations, while others don't want to risk their pet dirtying or tearing their hard work. If you're on the side of letting your animals on your quilts, you have to deal with pet hair. I'm always surprised that no matter how often I brush my cat, my quilts get full of pet hair and require attention to keep them looking bright, clean, and snuggly. Although I love curling up with my cat, I don't necessarily love to curl up with a quilt covered in the cat's hair. So here's how I handle pet hair. I take the quilt outside if I can and shake as much hair off as possible. Then I take a garment brush and brush the quilt to remove excess hair. I always try to brush with the machine quilting lines, not against, to reduce the risk of pulling a stitch out. That usually takes care of the hair, but if there are some stubborn spots, I'll use a lint roller to remove them. Let's tackle smells next. This may be one you don't encounter often, in fact, I've never encountered a smelly quilt in my home, but you never know when this problem can hit you. <laughs> Smells could come from animals, uh, smokers, uh, stinky kids or teenagers, or storage in like a musty or humid location in your home. So if you want to remove a smell, try hanging your quilt outside on a clothesline. This works best if it's a breezy and overcast day, because remember, if it's sunny out, you risk fading the fabrics of the quilt. If your quilt is antique or fragile and you don't want to hang it on a clothesline because that might weaken the seam lines, you can lay out bed sheets or towels on the grass and then lay your quilt on top of it to air out. And we always suggest putting another bed sheet on top just to prevent debris from falling on the quilt and getting it more dirty. So a few hours outside can take care of smells, um, but if the smell isn't going away, you may need to wash the quilt. We'll get to washing later. So before we deep dive into washing, I wanted to talk about small stains. So if the stain is small enough, you can get away with spot cleaning it rather than throwing the whole quilt in a wash. So I am a total pro at this because no matter how careful I am, I always seem to be spilling like a drop of coffee on my throw quilt in the mornings or spaghetti sauce from dinner on our table topper. A few times I've gotten uh, you know, pen marks on my quilts from my daily journaling or a grass stain when I bring a quilt outside. And I do not have time to do a load of laundry every time I get a small stain on a quilt. I've had luck using basic stain sticks that you can find in the store or a very small drop of laundry detergent. I've also heard of people making a paste with water and baking soda or even using a water vinegar solution. Just follow manufacturer's instructions when you can, but most of these these techniques require you to get the stain wet, add the cleaner, let it sit for a period of time, and then rubbing to remove the stain. 
The exception to these ideas is if you're worried that the dye of the quilt will run. There's nothing worse than trying to clean a very small stain on a quilt and making it into a much larger one when the dye starts to run. So if you're worried about this, you may need to submerge at least part of the quilt in water and use a color catcher to trap loose dyes in the washing process. Okay, so let's tackle washing now. If you want to get into the nitty gritty of the washing and drying process, please listen to episode 428 of this podcast. We got really in depth on that episode on all the different ways to wash and dry a quilt. But I'll give a little overview here. I mostly wash my quilt in the washing machine on a gentle cycle with cold water and at least two shout color catchers. So if you don't know what shout color catchers are, they're a lifesaver and something I recommend to most quilters. Um, But they are these handy little sheets you throw into a wash cycle and they trap loose dye so that even if your fabric runs a little, it shouldn't bleed into your other colors. So I'll keep washing my quilts separately from other laundry with these color catchers until the color catcher comes out completely white so that I know the dye is done bleeding. If the quilt is a bed quilt or a throw quilt, I'll dry it in the dryer, tumble dry low. I personally love the crinkle a quilt gets when it's been dried, but for my smaller quilts like table toppers or wall quilts where I don't want a crinkle look, I'll air dry and then I'll even press the quilt with an iron once it's dry to get it looking really crisp. If you have a fragile quilt or an antique quilt, you'll most likely want to hand wash the quilt in a plastic tub so that the washing process is gentle. You'll still want to use shout color catchers, but a clear plastic tub makes it much easier to see if a quilt starts to bleed so that you can rinse as often as needed. Just remember that washing and drying a quilt, even when it's done in a gentle cycle, causes fabrics to fade and it's abrasive to the fibers. So some quilts, like baby quilts, you may be washing often and you'll actually start to notice the wear on the quilt. But for my throw quilts and bed quilts, I usually only wash those as needed, so probably about twice a year just to clean and freshen them unless there's like a bigger cleaning issue that needs to be dealt with. And I won't wash my wall quilts or table toppers at all unless needed. But if you're going to wash, I wanted to throw out a few soaps that are made to be used with quilts, um, and they may be better than a normal laundry detergent. So the first suggestion is RetroClean. RetroClean is a soaking powder made to be used for antique quilts, but is tough on stains and odors. So although it's made for antique quilts, the point is that it's a very gentle cleanser, and it can work with any fabrics or quilts. I have personally used this cleaner on an antique quilt I own, and in just one wash, the quilt's fabrics were brighter and some of the stains were removed, so I definitely have used and would recommend this product. Another option is Orvis Quilt Soap, 
which is a formula that was originally used as a shampoo for animals, <laughs> but it's safe for fabrics and needlework as well. So what's special about this soap is that its formula allows water to completely penetrate the fabric so you don't have to soak it for very long. The last option to consider is called soak. So soak is a different type of cleaner. So you just immerse your quilt in water and with the soak soap solution and you just squeeze it out and then you lay it flat to dry. There's no rinsing required. It will leave your quilt. And soak has an unscented version, but they also have some really fun scents. So if you like your quilts smelling a certain way, this could be a fun option. So if you're interested, we'll link to these soaps in the show notes. It's a totally personal choice, but if you choose to look into these more, you may find a new favorite way to wash your quilts. So we're so excited to share all these tips about cleaning your quilts because this week's Sweet Quilty Home Challenge is to clean your quilts. For those who don't know, our Sweet Quilty Home Challenge is something we're hosting on the podcast and social media. This challenge lasts for 10 weeks this summer. It started in July and it ends September 13th, so we have about a month left of the challenge. This program focuses on creating your best home. So each week we're issuing a challenge, uh, just a small step you can take to brighten your home. So if you participate, you can use the hashtag Sweet Quilty Home on Instagram. You can also visit our show notes for a link to the Sweet Quilty Home page on our website, which has a lot of helpful uh, videos, content, patterns, and of course, we list e each week's challenge so that you can participate. So keep listening in. Each of our podcast episodes during these 10 weeks are coordinating with one of these challenges. We're going to take a quick ad break, but hang tight. When we come back, we have a fun interview with Audrey Essery of Cotton and Bourbon. And we're back. Last month, our editor Jody had the pleasure of talking to Audrey Essery of Cotton and Bourbon. Audrey is so talented. She's a pattern designer, hand dyes fabrics, pieces and quilts the most beautiful modern quilts, and even sells her long arm services. On top of that, her website has helpful tutorials and videos that will really up your sewing game. Please enjoy Jody and Audrey's chat. This is Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine, and I'm joined today by Audrey Essery, and Audrey is from Cotton and Bourbon. And Audrey, I'd like for you to just kind of tell folks how you got into quilting. Yeah, thanks, Jody. Um, I'm Audrey Essery, uh, but as Jody mentioned, a lot of people know me through my Instagram handle, Cotton and Bourbon. Um, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and I started quilting in 2005. Um, I had started dating my now husband, Andrew, and uh, we'd been dating for a little over a year. And his mom asked me to uh, attend a quilting class with her and some other family members. Um, the pattern was a Hunter Star quilt by Jan Krenz. So I kind of picked an intermediate quilt as my first quilt. Um, and it was being offered at one of the local quilt shops. Um, but since I had grown up sewing and crafting and doing all kinds of interesting um, artistic 
endeavors, um, but never tried quilting. I was really excited to go and I was immediately hooked. Um, so I started taking all the classes that I could and learn everything that I could. And I've been quilting ever since. Now, you mentioned your website. It's um, called Cotton and Bourbon. So how did you come up with that name? Well, even though I had been quilting since 2005, I never really shared any of my work online. Um, and so the QuiltCon 2019 uh, quilt show was the first time that I had ever really considered um, entering a juried quilt show or showing any of my work. And on the entry form, there's a space to enter your Instagram name but I didn't have one. <laughs> so in the fall 2018 timeframe, I had started brainstorming what I should call myself on online since my last name, Essary, is kind of difficult to pronounce for some people. Um, and I was at dinner with a friend and brainstorming and explaining that uh, the front runner on my list was kind of cotton and something, fill in the blank, um, because it seemed like it would be easy to remember. And at that dinner, I was drinking a bourbon cocktail, an old fashioned, and she said, well, why not cotton and bourbon? <laughs> and it was a perfect fit because I'm a quilter from Kentucky and uh, about 95% of the world's bourbon is produced in Kentucky. So that's how the cotton and bourbon name came to be. <laughs> now you mentioned QuiltCon and entering um, into a jury show like that. And I think that's probably where I saw your quilts. And the thing that just was so mesmerizing to me was um, some of the quilts, at least that you make, you're kind of known for your circle quilts. And I think for a lot of people, those are really challenging. And I just wondered why you were drawn to circles or, or what made you want to, um, you know, make those kinds of quilts specifically? Mm -hmm. oh, well, I guess I always really enjoyed sewing curves. Um, my first curve quilt was the Strips and Curves quilt by Louisa Smith. It's still one of my favorites. Um, and I'd always really admired the quilters that designed these uh, intricate but very large scale designs, such as like Lone Star quilts. Um, some of the artists that come to mind um, are Judy Niemeyer or Jacqueline DeJong or Jan Krenz has a book on Lone Star quilts as well. So I think looking back, um, it's easy for me to make a connection that I've been influenced by those large scale designers. Um, but in terms of circles, I really like how the eye moves around and explores a circle. Um, so I started to think of interesting ways to subdivide a circle in kind of a graphic and geometric way. And that was the inspiration for the first quilt in my Offset quilt series, which is the one that hung at QuiltCon 2019 um, called Offset. And it's made with two concentric circles of alternating black and white wedges. Um, I'm actually in the middle of creating number 11 in the series now. The top is done, but it still needs quilting. Um, and I'm still really enjoying sewing curves. So between the offset quilt series and the watercolor quilts that I'm making, I think I'll probably continue to sew circles for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so you haven't gotten sick of the circle shape yet, at least. No, I don't think so. I think I'm in it for the long haul. <laughs> yeah, and I understand that. I love the hexagon shape is kind of my thing. So I do a lot of English paper piecing and the hexagons are just stuck with me in, in anything. Like if I see a wooden platter that's in the shape of a hexagon or a piece of jewelry that's in the shape of a hexagon, I just have to buy it. So I totally understand being mesmerized by a specific shape. Now, mm -hmm. um, in terms of fabric, uh, one of the things that I've noticed by following you on Instagram is that you're doing a lot of hand dyeing these days. Um, and do you mind talking a little bit about that? 
Oh, yeah. Um, so one thing I really love about quilting is having so many pieces of the process where you can leave kind of your artistic fingerprints. Um, so everything from kind of color selection or pattern design, piecing, um, all the way through the end of the process, I feel like there's a lot of customization options, even if you're making someone else's pattern. Um, but one part of the process I hadn't explored previously was fabric dyeing. And it's funny because recently I peeked back at my Amazon order history and I can see in 2010, I bought Ann Johnston's book on fabric dyeing. I believe it's called Color by Accident. Um, and when I flipped through the book, when I received it, I remember feeling very overwhelmed by the process. And so I put it down. And <laughs> so fast forward now to like QuiltCon 2020, when I had the chance to take an ice dyeing class with Anna Joyce, who also has a great book on hand, hand dyeing fabric. Um, and she broke down a lot of the like roadblocks or self-imposed perceptions that I had about dyeing being too complex for me to understand. Um, and after coming home from QuiltCon, as we've all kind of found ourselves in various stages of stay-at-home orders due to the pandemic, I thought it might be time to just dive in and learn more. So I ordered some fabric dyeing supplies and 22-gallon uh, buckets from Lowe's, <laughs> and I started experimenting. Um, and I've learned a lot about, you know, dyeing fabric. Um, there's so many different kinds of ways to dye fabric, ice dyeing or vat dyeing. Um, my favorite, though, is dyeing a fabric gradation um, because I've always loved quilts that use color where it seems like the color just blends seamlessly from one color to the next. And there are some commercially available or, um, hand dyed fabrics, commercially available prints that look like hand dyed fabrics. Um, Carol Breyer-Fallart famously has a commercially available line from Bernatex that mimic her hand dyed gradations. Um, but I had always kind of wanted to own that piece of the process as well. And so I think the thing that excites me most about the hand dyed fabrics is that it's opened up this new kind of world of possibilities of um, me getting to leave my fingerprints on the quilt in another way by using my own fabrics. And that's really exciting. Yeah, I think that's so cool because I, when I'm seeing the fabrics that you've dyed, it's almost like as you're doing your quilts and you have these overlapping pieces that you controlling that color palette allows you to just really um, put that into your piece. And I know I, I've also started doing some ice dyeing, you're much further along the process than I am. I've like bought the t-shirts and the socks and the things that I want to dye. Um, I keep watching YouTube videos and reading about it, but I just haven't actually jumped in yet. And I don't know what I'm so afraid of because it's just fabric, just buy more, right? <laughs> have you had some happy I mean, I definitely share that. Yes, I definitely have had happy accidents. And I will say, um, as I mentioned, Anna Joyce really break down some of those perceived barriers for me. Um, things that we actually now use in the house on a daily basis. We have 100% cotton tea towels that I've ice dyed and fabric uh, cloth napkins. And those are um, just kind of friendly reminders of kind of where I started ice dyeing at QuiltCon 2020. So that was very valuable. And it is just fabric. Um, and one of the um, one of the experiments that I had done with ice dyeing is I, I prepared some dye that actually didn't work out the way that I wanted the first time. And so I went back and I over dyed it. I, I dyed on top of it. And that actually became one of my favorite gradations. So I had tried to ice dye with um, a black dye 
and it ended up turning out more bluish purplish than I wanted. Um, and so I went back and I, I sighed on top of it. And that piece of fabric ended up looking like hydrangeas. Oh, and cool. it was so pretty. I just, I love the effect of it. I haven't used it yet, but that's definitely a happy accident. So if you're not satisfied with the first try, don't forget that you can just put that fabric back in the in the dye bath and try again. Because yeah, <laughs> then things tend to work together. Right. And in addition to um, doing it for yourself, I know you also are doing some sales of some of your fabrics as you get an opportunity to maybe make some as well. Is that something you'll continue to do or are you using it mostly so. in your own work? I mean, I'm using it in my own work, but I also um, have really enjoyed kind of sharing those hand-dyed pieces um, with my internet friends who have decided to purchase those fabrics from me, um, which is very flattering and exciting that that fabric is out in the wild as well. So I think um, I do have another batch of hand-dyeds that will be hitting the website probably in the next month and a half. Um, both in fabric gradations and some additional ice dyed fabrics. I just have so much fun doing it. I just can't stop. <laughs> so besides the ice dyeing, before you started doing that, I think most of your quilts, were they made with solids primarily? Yes. So when I started creating my own designs in 2018, um, I started using all solid fabrics. And I guess one of the biggest things that had stopped me from cutting into fabric and experimenting with design was fearing that I'd cut into one of my precious prints of fabric, you know, something from a past run um, that couldn't be reproduced or couldn't be found again. It's kind of funny, but like, good luck finding that Amy Butler print circa 2008. Like, you're just not going to find it in the cut that you need typically. So in the fall of 2018, I actually removed all of the prints from my sewing studio and left only the solids um, because there's not, I don't feel like there's as much of a threat of something being a limited run or a solid that I might not be able to find more of. So I was less afraid to experiment. And that was kind of a game changer for me because then I just started to play with the fabric and um, think of it more as like, that's my palette. Um, and I would look at the colors and focus on value and hue and shade and saturation um, and worry less about if I'd have enough of it or how to position a print in a block. Um, it was more about the color and that was really um, important to me. Although I still do buy a print. <laughs> I still do love to buy prints. I'll put them in dresses and use them for other fun, interesting things like a whole cloth quilt is great with a print. Um, so I still do buy them, but more for my own personal use and less from an artistic design standpoint. Now, you've mentioned a little bit about this, but if people go to your website, um, cottonandbourbon.com, they'll also see that um, you make custom quilts, um, you sell digital and paper patterns, you provide a long-arm service uh, for pentagrams, uh, you do tutorials on your website. Do you have a favorite part of the process, or do you just love it all? I mean, I do love it all, but at the end of the day, I do just, I do love to make quilts. Uh, that whole process of being a maker from design all the way to the end with quilting and binding. Um, but I will say the tutorials that I have on my site, for example, the quilt facing tutorial or the wide binding tutorial, those kind of stem from me not being able to find something out there um, 
that I wanted to use or that felt like fit in with my process. So I documented the process that I found myself using repeatedly. It's actually surprising how often I hear the facing tutorial reference now. Um, and that kind of teaching aspect of quilting is something I really enjoy watching students have success making their quilts. Um, so aside from the process of making a quilt, I think that that teaching um, piece is something that's a favorite and really important to me. So my last question for you is, if you aren't quilting or you aren't drinking bourbon, uh, what might you <laughs> be doing? Um, well, I love to play board games. Um, we have a group of friends that in normal times would get together pretty, pretty regularly for uh, game nights. Uh, I also love to travel and find new and interesting restaurants. Uh, and I'm an avid DIYer, so I like to do DIY projects at home and build furniture. So it seems like there's always something kind of hands-on on my list uh, to work on. Uh, but during this kind of stay-at-home time, I've spent a lot of time connecting with some of the new friends that I made at QuiltCon via FaceTime and Zoom calls. So I think once we're all able to travel a little bit more easily, it's likely that several of us will try to see each other, not just through an iPad screen, but in person. Wow, that's <laughs> wonderful. That's that's a good thing to come out of this. Um, one of the blessings. Well, thanks, mm. Audrey. And again, you can follow Audrey on Instagram at Cotton, A-N-D, Cotton and Berman. And that's also her website, cottonandbourbon.com. And again, this is Jody Sanders with American Patchwork and Quilting. Thanks, Audrey. Thanks, Jody, so much. Hey, it's Lindsay. I just loved Jody's chat with Audrey. As soon as I found out Jody was interviewing Audrey, I followed her on Instagram and I can't believe her gorgeous work. I'm obsessed and feeling so inspired by what she's putting into the world. Audrey is also a part of our Meet the Makers issue of American Patchwork and Quilting. We did a fun feature on her, as well as seven other designers. So pick up the October 2020 issue of American Patchwork and Quilting to read more. The magazines is on newsstands now. And as always, visit our show notes for the links to the resources mentioned in the interview. We'll also link to Audrey's website and social media so that you can connect with her more. Before we leave today, I just want to mention an amazing subscription offer that we have for our podcast listeners. Our podcast listeners can get 60% off a year subscription to American Patchwork and Quilting. Especially now when we're traveling to the stores less often, you can still get that magazine delivered right to your doorstep so you don't miss one. Take advantage by visiting our show notes to find all the info. Hi all, and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week. <laughs>